In a small New Hampshire town, not too far from where we are today, a woman by the name of Edith Penn Meyer went missing on February 23, 2005, and was never seen alive again. I'm here to tell you today the story of what happened to Penn and what makes this such a chilling case. Penn Meyer from Goshen, New Hampshire, is a 56-year-old woman who enjoyed gardening and weaving and was well-known in her community. One of the things that Penn was mostly known for was never going anywhere without her English sheepdog and niece, Hyssop, who everyone knew as Fluff. Growing up, Penn was one of 11 children in her family. Despite the large number of children, the Myers family didn't struggle from financial problems. Penn's dad was a wealthy Boston industrialist, but the family had homes all over New England, including Rhode Island. The author states, that Penn would describe her childhood as one defined by her fear of her stifling and patriarchal father, whose old-fashioned values extended to the harsh and draconian discipline of his free-spirited daughter. Penn, despite the many siblings, was never actually very close with any of them. She was closest with one of her sisters, who was 13 years younger than her, Jessie. Jessie, during college, would spend weekends with Penn and her husband at their home. After Penn graduated high school, she attended Colby Sawyer College, where she graduated with a liberal arts degree. Penn's first marriage after college resulted in the birth of her three children. She was later divorced and remarried. The remarriage was ill-fated from the beginning and lasted no longer than three years. Despite many of her colleagues not seeing many flaws in Penn's life, there was one big flaw that she had been dealing with. As a child, she had suffered from being sexually abused. The pain from this drove her to alcohol as a way of healing. Not many people that knew Penn expected this from her. She was a very discreet drinker. After attempting to face her demons on her own a few times and having failed, she joined Alcoholic Anonymous, or otherwise known as AA. This is where Penn Meyer would meet Ken Carpenter. Kenneth Carpenter was born in Greensfield, Massachusetts, the middle brother of three, in August 1951. As a toddler, Ken and his family moved to Florida, but soon found themselves back in the cold weather of New England. Carpenter began drinking with his cousin, Alan Long, when he was just age 15. They would sit on a hill in Chelmsford, Mass, behind Long's house, watching the sun go down, drinking, not knowing what was to come of this for Carpenter. Ken's parents, Alfred and Denise, were the owners of the Chelmsford Drive-In. They also owned a second theater in Tingsboro. This was fun for Ken as a child. He could help himself to concessions and sneak his friends in to see the new popular films. This gave classmates a perception that Ken's family had money, although they did not. During high school, he moved between many groups of friends. He blended in with the other students. It was on the football field that he stood out. He was the co-captain of the varsity team in 1969 and was named one of the best players in the Merrimack Valley Conference. As an adult, Ken married and divorced twice and was dad to only one son. He worked construction odd jobs and fixed up race cars, but never had a defined career. The one thing he became particularly good at was sobriety. Ken had quit drinking on December 13, 1981.
Ken, as an adult, drew a resemblance to Sean Connery with his soulful face. He wore his hair long, even after the change from black to gray, pulled back in a thin ponytail. He also had a thick and often scraggly beard. To many people who had just hit rock bottom, Ken was a commanding figure at his AA meetings. After 20 years of AA meetings, he finally met the love of his life, or so he thought, at a meeting in Nashua, New Hampshire. A well-dressed, eye-catching blonde with an attractive build. Other couples at AE at AA meetings would describe Ken and Harv as extremely lovey-dovey. This perception was changed when Ken, one evening before the marriage, got extremely angry at Harv, resulting in her not knowing whether she could go through with the marriage on the next day or not. She did go through with it, and on the Sunday of President's Day weekend in 2003, Ken and Harv were married. I believe that Ken was born a killer. He was physical on the football field and had controlling tendencies. He enjoyed and often watched CSI, Law and & Order, and Cold Case, which is where he learned to plot his murder. He had a normal childhood. There was no signs of abuse or neglect mentioned in the book that would cause mental illness. All in all, I believe nature, and not nurture, is what made Ken Carpenter a killer. Today, I'm going to talk to you about Jack the Ripper. So, Jack the Ripper is known as one of the most iconic serial killers in history. The craziest part about the history of Jack the Ripper is that, as of today, there has still not been a positive identification of the late 1800s serial killer. Most of the Ripper's crimes were done in London, England. In both the criminal case files and contemporary journalistic accounts, the Ripper was also known as the Whitechapel Murderer. There have been many suspects that authorities have believed to have been the true Ripper, but still no one has been confirmed in over 100 years. Jack the Ripper is known to have killed at least five women, who are all prostitutes in the East End of London. There have been many theories that the number of victims could go as high as 25, despite all the evidence being found at each of the five known cases, or crime scenes, I should say. Uh, investigators can see resemblances that relate to the Ripper's brutalities at each crime. So I'm going to talk to you about what London was like in the late 1800s. So London was a very interesting place, I guess I could say. It was said to be viewed as either a compassionate or a contempt by its residents. And England at this time in history was a place that mostly Jewish and Russians would immigrate to in the hopes of starting a new life filled with opportunities. This was also a time in history where there were no obviously there were obviously no cell phones no 911 emergency calls, and no video recordings. So prostitutes being killed was not that uncommon, especially at this time in history. And, and prostitution in uh, London, England, was only illegal if the practice was considered um, to cause a disturbance to the public. So all this being said, this series of the killings that took place in August in the late 1800s stood out from all the other violent crimes. Jack the Ripper's murders are known to be a sadistic butchery that could, all, that could only be done by someone with a very psychopathic and psychopathic and hateful mind that no other citizen during that time could even comprehend. 
This may be a bit graphic and I apologize, but authorities and other reports have said that most of the Ripper's victims, when trying to identify how they died, were said to be missing certain organs, usually their kidneys or uteruses. Prostitutes were actually referred to as the unfortunates of London during this time. The first no crime committed by Jack the Ripper took place on August 6th, 1888, on a very unpleasant day of weather. It began with a local prostitute known as Martha. She was meeting up with her friend, Mary, and they went out drinking with a few sailors around 10 p.m. at night. After their ship came to port, the two couples then went their separate ways as the night went on. And at 11.45, Mary recalls that being the last time she saw her. They walked up Angel Court, then about two hours later, From when Mary saw Martha last was when Police Division H was on their nightly patrol. The officer on duty went by the name of Barrett, who he had said to see another soldier out walking alone around 2 a.m. Barrett estimated the soldier to be early to mid-twenties and about 5'9 or 5'10 with, small, with a small dark brown mustache. The soldier then told the officer that he was looking for a chum who had gone out with a girl. Now, during the investigation of this case, no soldier has ever been positively identified, and those who seemed to be even remotely familiar all had a believable alibi. Donald Swanson was the chief inspector of the criminal investigation department at this time. He has said that it was impossible that she may have been with another client or even several. The private seen by Officer Barrett was a key suspect because he was seen so close to the time of the murder of Martha. Investigators still haven't identified the killer. Maybe it was the soldier that did it. Maybe he was the killer in disguise. Throughout the history of Jack the Ripper, he was also known to just disappear after crimes. He was even known to have owned different clothing to live off of and have a different appearance every time. I'm just really surprised that this hasn't really been addressed or looked into more, especially since it's known that Jack the Ripper had different identities. Jack the Ripper was really the true definition of a psychopathic killer. Psychopaths are very different from your average or typical serial killer. Psychopaths might be known to be promiscuous and lie, but they could be financially responsible. And they might steal or they might torture animals, but they won't abuse like drugs or alcohol. Psychopaths can either be male or female, child or adult, but they are not always violent, but they are always dangerous. Now back to Martha. So it has been documented that she took her killer to the dark first floor stairwell of 37 Georgiard buildings. Her body was actually found by a local waterside laborer, John S. Reeves, at around 4 a.m. in the morning when he was leaving for work. Mr. Reese found Martha's body laying on her back in a pool of blood. He also discovered that there had been no prints going to or away from the scene. When investigators and authorities got to the scene of the crime, they noticed that there were patterns of blood splattered along the walls, which would indicate that an artery had been, had been cut. Martha's body was then taken to a local morgue, where it was then analyzed for the cause of death. Dr. Colleen found that Martha had been stabbed 39 times, which also gives off that her killer got enraged with either something Martha said or did. During further analysis of her body, Dr. Colleen found that Martha had also been stabbed on her genitals, which also indicates that some sexual component went into this murder. 
Throughout the investigation of Martha, people just couldn't believe or just simply comprehend who would do such a humane, inhumane thing to another person. Then the name Walter Richard Sickard became a conversation among investigators and authorities.